time for re-engineering your finances with the founder of CP Weldy Group, Charles Weldy. Thanks for being with us on another edition of Re-Engineering Your Finances. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Charles Weldy, the founder of CP Weldy Group, serving you throughout Delaware and Chester County areas with an office in Chad's Ford, PA. Charles specializes in creating tax-efficient retirement plans. And if you want to learn more, you can go to cpweldygroup.com. That's cpweldygroup.com. Charles, great to be with you once again this week. How are you? I'm doing well, Walter. How are you doing? Uh, doing well and uh, looking forward to another conversation with you. And uh, I think this will be a good topic on today's show, Charles. Every once in a while, we like to just take a step back and look at some of the, the jargon and the buzzwords and kind of just the terms that people may hear, whether it be in financial news, maybe from a friend or, you know, life getting back a little bit to normal for some people, <laughs> hearing from folks around the dinner table or uh, when you're out, out at a party or something like that and people are talking about money and finances and investing and those kinds of things, you might hear about some terms and things like that. And we want to bring them up on the show occasionally and talk about what these things mean. Are they important to you? as a saver and as someone preparing for retirement and a more successful financial future, what are these things and what do you need to know about them? So we're going to take a little step inside the classroom. Charles, I've selected a couple of financial dictionary items, if you will, that I've come across over the last couple of weeks and thought, huh, I wonder if other people know what this means and how it impacts them. You ready for this? We'll, we'll, we'll let you be the teacher here as I uh, toss you a couple of different ideas. All right. Sounds good. All right. So uh, first one on the list accelerated death benefit. If someone hears that term, accelerated death benefit, what should they be thinking about and what is that? So Walter, an accelerated death benefit is a provision in most life insurance policies. And what it does, it allows the person to receive a portion of their death benefit early, earlier than death, you know, and to use it while they're alive. So there's a couple examples. Uh, Number one would be somebody that's terminally ill. A lot of these insurance companies will allow someone who's terminally ill, and that's defined as like six months to two years of life expectancy left. They'll allow them to take a portion of their death benefit while they're alive because the company knows that eventually they're going to have to pay a death benefit. Why wait until the person dies, you know, when they perhaps could use it while they're alive? So that's one example. But another example, and I think it's more prevalent, especially in my practice, is a a long-term care benefit. So how does that work? You know, you might have, let's just call it a $300,000 death benefit in your life insurance policy. And uh, if you have one of these ADBs, accelerated death benefit, with a long-term care provision, the company will allow you to maybe take 2% of that death benefit. In the example that I'm giving you, 2% of 300,000 is what, $6,000 a month. And they'll pay that over four years, 48 months, in lieu of a death benefit if you ever need it long-term care. So the accelerated death benefit is revision in most policies. The terminally ill benefit is one that most people are familiar with, but the long-term care benefit is a big bonus where people I find in my practice aren't really that readily aware of it. And once they become aware of it, it opens up the opportunity maybe to invest in an insurance policy, not only for a death benefit that will ultimately be paid, but perhaps for a long-term care benefit, if need be, it's there for a future use. Okay. So accelerated death benefit kind of 
pops up in a couple of different ways in the financial world. So that's good to know. All right. What about AGI? I hear that reference to a lot, especially in like financial media. The AGI is, you know, X, Y, and Z. What does that really tell us? Or mean? Yeah. So AGI really stands for adjusted gross income. It has to do with taxation. So, um, you know, in order to arrive at AGI, adjusted gross income, you start with, you know, total income and total income could include wages, self-employed earnings, interest, dividends, capital gains, IRA distributions, pensions, annuity distributions, partnership income, rental income, a portion of your social security. All this gets added up and that will total your total income. But from your total income, the IRS allows you to make certain adjustments. Just a few of them for reference would be an IRA deduction, an HSA, health savings account deduction, a self-employment tax deduction, a health insurance deduction for someone who's self-employed. This would come off of the gross income to arrive at this AGI, adjusted gross income. And that's on everyone's tax return. And it's a very important number because it serves as a starting point for calculating what your Medicare monthly premiums are going to be. I don't know if the listeners are aware, but today there's means testing when it comes to Medicare premium payments. The higher the adjusted gross income, the higher the the Medicare premiums are going to be. And I guess the IRS and the Medicare people feel that, hey, people with high adjusted gross incomes can afford to pay higher Medicare premiums. So the AGI is really an important number on your tax return. And it really dictates whether various credits can be used, various deductions can be phased out, and really what your monthly Medicare premium is going to be for the next year or so. So interesting, I think, to uh, look at what these different phrases mean, these different buzzwords mean, and how they apply to us individually. feels like we've already covered so much ground, just talking, you know, we've already delved into so many different parts of the financial world, just from two definitions that just shows you the importance sometimes of being able to understand these things and, you know, uh, tap into them. Now, this one may sound a little eggheady, Charles, maybe a little bit uh, nerdy, if you will. Fundamental analysis. Does the average investor need to know what that means? What, what does that really mean? Well, fundamental analysis, you know, I, I know the answer because of my accounting background, but it's really like looking at financial statements and analyzing them. Hey, what are the assets and liabilities of a company? What is its net worth? What is its income? What is it, the earnings? What's the growth of the economy? What's inflation look like? What's supply and demand? What's cash flow? So it really looks at all the fundamentals that drive like a company and, and a business. And it tries that the main goal of the fundamental analysis is to see if the stock of that company is undervalued or overvalued. So they apply certain formulas. There might be eight to 10 formulas, fundamental formulas to analyzing a company and determine whether that stock of that company is undervalued or overvalued. It's a common way of analyzing companies' fundamental analysis. I will add, though, that there's a second analysis called technical analysis, technical, T-E-C-H-N-I-C-A-L, and it really evaluates what a security will do in the future. It looks at price trends, volume indicators, things that aren't like here and now, but like projected in the future. So when I look at, you know, how people analyze, you know, companies and stocks, I'm more of a fundamental analysis guy than a technical analysis guy. I just believe in the here and now. 
That's a great point, Charles, and makes a lot of sense. So fundamental analysis, not something that you're really, you know, getting into on meeting one, comparing side by side with clients and helping them put together in their financial and retirement plans. That's a little bit deeper level, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I let, I let the CFAs, uh, charter financial analysts do that. You know, I'm more interested in like, you know, how much money do you need? When will it be needed? You know, can we diversify in the right asset classes and for the most tax efficiency? So I'm more of a higher level overview than like, you know, down in the trenches, like really analyzing these companies. That's really not, not my area of expertise. And I don't think it's a good use of my time. That's not the retirement planning element of this. That's truly investing and in, in stock picking almost at that point is when you're doing those kinds of analyses. Individual investments may be a better way to say it. Absolutely. Okay. Good to Absolutely. Know. All right. What about a margin account? A margin account. Came across that recently. Is that something the everyday investor or saver is going to encounter? Yeah. Uh, I mean, some people encounter it. Some people don't. I mean, generally, when you open up a brokerage account with a brokerage firm, they ask you if you want to, you know, open up a margin account or not. And you know, a margin account allows you to buy securities via leverage, via a loan. And the way it works, you take a loan from the broker to make investments. And I guess the cash and the securities that you hold in that account are collateral for the loan. I mean, there's advantages and disadvantages to having that type of account. I've always shied away from it. Maybe one of the advantages is it allows you to purchase stocks and bonds and securities beyond your means. So, you know, you might open up an account, let's just say at $100,000. Well, with a margin account, you might be able to buy up to $300,000 worth of securities with just $100,000. So it allows you to leverage that account. And obviously you'll be charged interest on the margin loan. And if the stock goes up, you're definitely you know glad that you did it. But the major disadvantage that I see Walter through, you know, I guess some of the clients that I've had that had them and uh, some of the things I read is that when the market goes down, you know, obviously those securities that are used as collateral for that margin loan now are called. And, you know, if you had to sell securities at a loss because the market went down, then you really have the, the worst of all worlds. I mean, you owe interest on the loan, you know, you've got to liquidate your securities and then now you have a loss. So by and large, I would say that of all the clients that we have, probably less than three to 5% have margin accounts. Okay. So a tiny bit, but not a very common thing that people are going to encounter. Last but not least, you know, if anybody's thinking about retirement, they hear a lot about obviously stocks and the other side of the equation, bonds, kind of our first initial thought ever for retirement. I think for most folks, as you hear that saying, you get out of stocks and get out of bonds. And then the more you listen, you start to hear this term called junk bonds get thrown around a lot. What in the world is a junk bond and why is that an important piece of information? Well, like many, many years ago, they were called high yield bonds, you know, uh, because their yield was higher than a normal bond, a uh, bond that was high quality. But they're called junk bonds because there's high risk, even though there's high return, there's high risk. So uh, how they're, they come about is companies that seek to raise capital quickly, they might have a higher risk of default so that they'll offer the investor a higher interest rate to cover that potential you know downside the big downside is like i've seen you know a lot not a lot but i've seen quite a few companies that issued high yield junk bonds you know just go out of business go bankrupt and you never get your money back so 
I actually looked recently to see what some of these high yield uh, or junk bonds were paying. And some of them are paying like north of 6%. I mean, if a treasury bond, a 10-year treasury is paying like less than two, and a high yield junk bond is paying like six, there's got to be a lot of risk in between. So I would say that, you know, by and large, um, you know, I'm not really a, a fan of junk bonds. Although like there are people that need income and they're willing to take that risk to get that extra income in their portfolio. Well, we covered a lot of ground on today's show, Charles, these different financial dictionary items, things we're pulling out. How often do you have somebody getting in touch with you or coming in with something like this where they say, hey, what, what, what is this? And, and is that part of the planning process, educating people about the most important terms? Not that we covered anywhere near the ground of the most important ones out there on today's show, but said anything that you deal with on a frequent basis, helping define these kinds of things for folks? Uh, usually when the plan's done and we talk about life insurance, then I'll get into the accelerated death benefit. As we implement tax planning and financial planning, we'll talk about the AGI, adjusted gross income. Very seldom do I get involved with fundamental you know, or technical analysis. I'm not a fan of margin accounts and uh, junk bonds. I mean, you know, a lot of our clients are well diversified in high quality corporate bonds, government bonds, you know, stocks. So um, it can come up, but very seldom will it come up, Walter. Uh, people are more interested in like, do I have enough? How long will it last? And what's the ideal place to put it so that, you know, when the money's needed, it'll be there regardless of, you know, what markets are doing up, down, sideways and what interest rates are paying. That's really the basis of what I do is really to help people develop a simple written plan that will give them the confidence of knowing that, that money will be there with a little bit more certainty than it will be there if they didn't have a plan at all. That's a great point, Charles. And again, if you are looking for some guidance and information and help with your own financial plan, you can tap into the great knowledge that Charles brings to the table each and every episode and each and every day in the office, 610-388-7705. You can meet a person with Charles or, of course, remotely as well, 610-388-7705. If you want to set up a time to chat with Charles about what's on your mind and how to best prepare for your retirement and financial future. You can also find Charles online by going to cpweldygroup.com. That's cpweldygroup.com. And we'll put all the links and contact information that you need in the description of today's show. So just check that out if you want to get in touch. Well, Charles, thank you for all the help on today's show, and we'll look forward to doing it all again next time. Thank you, Walter. Appreciate it. All right. Have a great one. That's Charles Weldy. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for joining us. Hope you learned a little something on today's show. Come back and join us for the next edition of Reengineering Your Finances. Financial planning and advisory services are offered through Prosperity Capital Advisors, PCA, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Registration as an investment advisor does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The CP Weldy Group and PCA are separate, non-affiliated entities. PCA does not provide tax or legal advice.